Blog Talk Radio. Diabetes Late Night. Last year, 
It was Blue Christmas by Elvis Presley. So I'm so thrilled to tell you that December's diva inspiration, Carly Clark. Uh, what did I just say? Kelly Clarkson. I'm just too excited about the music and our guest tonight. Actually covered this song on her Wrapped in Red album. She kind of gives it an old Patsy Cline feel. I'm, it's a toss-up between which one I like better, the Elvis original or the Kelly Clarkson version. Why don't you be the judge? Let's listen. And when She says, baby, it's cold outside. She says, the answer is no. 
And he says, but baby, it's cold outside. Several stations, including WDOK, Star 102.1, have stopped playing the song because of the, the lyrics and the complaints from the listeners. And according to Glenn Anderson, who's one of the DJs, he admits that when he read the lyrics, he found them to be manipulative and wrong and feels that in a world where the Me Too has finally given women the voice they deserve, this song has no place. What do you think about that? Well, that's interesting, you know, because that is, that is the idea of the song, that, that that the man is trying to convince the woman to spend the night and she doesn't want to. Um, and, and I, yeah, that, that, that is the idea of the song. I, I don't, I don't remember how it ends. I don't know if they resolve the issue, whether she stays or not, but um, I think that, you know, no does mean no, but I, I'm not sure I would ban the song. I, I, I don't think I would ban the song. I don't know. That's an interesting question. I have no answer for that, unfortunately. But but I, I just have to I, say, I like, like my own take on it is like no means no, and that's such a big deal with consent today that I feel like yeah. this really uh, isn't valuing it, and I and I think for that reason alone, uh, you know probably shouldn't be played we were planning to play it tonight but hey if you want to call in and let us know if we should play it or not you could reach us at 347-215-8551 it's coming up later probably in the second hour and let us know if we should play it and we'll find out if we do or not right now though i want to change gears with you for a minute because one of the subjects we haven't talked in over about in over eight years of podcasting is homeless and diabetes and we'll be covering that a little bit later on with kathy gold uh, a wonderful educator that I've worked with in the D.C. area for probably over 15 years. She was on the national program, Divabetic Make Over Your Diabetes. It's interesting, though, um, Lorraine, that in a recent uh, study by the Harris Poll, they found that 7 out of 10 uh, Americans fear being homeless. you ever have that thought in your head? I can understand that. I, I don't think I've ever feared being homeless, but I have had the fear of not being able to afford my medication, um, especially now that I'm on Medicare. Medicare doesn't pay for a lot of things. And, um, I, you know, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect to have to um, pay for some things that I, I had not had to pay for while I was working and had health insurance through my job. So I can understand how people sometimes have to make that really difficult decision between uh, paying the rent and buying drugs or buying food and, you know, paying for their health care. It's a very tough decision, and I can understand why a lot of people would, would be fearful of that. Well, I think, you know, for me, I think one of the issues surrounding homeless and uh, diabetes is just the idea that I believe most educators uh, would agree with me that you need to have a certain kind of ritual or a routine down. And I don't understand how you create a routine uh, around your diabetes if you don't have a routine in life, meaning like some of the basic right. needs of where do you lie your head tonight and uh, the, where, where do you get your food? What type of food are you even going to get? You know, how much sleep right. can you possibly get? I mean, wouldn't that just be complete uh, chaos in your life? I, I, of course. And, you know, not only that, but circulatory problems and, you know, um, uh, if you're out in the cold or out in the elements, you know, and, you're, and you have bad circulation or you're not, your, your kidneys are not working properly or, you know, all sorts of things can happen. And I think, you know, we see a lot of, well, I don't know if a lot is the right word, but we do see homeless people who um, have what looks to be 
gangrene or what looks to be, you know, very bad legs, very bad feet. And um, I, I can only imagine what that could possibly be like if you have to worry about your blood sugar in the midst of, you know, trying to survive. And also the idea of just um, some of the, a lot of, I don't want to say a lot, I want to say some of the homeless population has substance abuse issues, mental health issues. That would only complicate mm-hmm. matters more. So sure. it's important, though, to take this on. And, you know, I reached out to you ahead of this broadcast to kind of get your take on it. So I'm interested to hear what you wrote tonight around this subject. Well, um, I, I took your message um, rather seriously about being homeless and having diabetes, or any other disease for that matter. And the name of my poem is Street Life. Where do we live and what lives in us? How much of home do we carry in our hearts? To be on the streets and to fight for your life. Who can tell where living ends and existing starts? Your bodies tell stories of hurt and neglect. Maybe a life full of struggle with pain. Maybe a childhood that left its own marks or maybe adulthood has made its own claim. Living each day with no menus to plan, nowhere to safeguard life's daily needs, energy and time only to strategize for survival, and nothing left to gather food or sow seeds. Bodies need nourishment, safety, and peace. The streets provide nothing of the kind only the illusion of love and caring and diseases for which you are further maligned. Your body will suffer if care is not given, and care is elusive when in the streets you roam. Let's work to get you the care and attention you need, or even better, let's work to get you a home. Um, I love the last More line of that poem, Lorraine. <laughs> Thank you. No, I know, but it's an important topic, and I really appreciate the way you covered it, and we'll be posting it on our um, website uh, later on this week. I so thank you very much, and I thank you for the opportunity. People could read that and uh, find out more <laughs> Patricia, Addy Gentle, put down the fire thing. And Patricia, you're there. You were just playing the guitar for us, doing a little Chuck Berry. Thank you for that. Are you telling us it's time for the hot seat question, Patricia? It's time for hot seat. Oh, well, take a seat, Lorraine, because maybe it's cold outside. It's <laughs> awful. But, um, and help us get clued in about the link between type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease. I have, the, I have a feeling this is because we're celebrating our upcoming first-ever diabetes and cardiovascular disease escape room experience in New York on National Diabetes Awareness, National Alert Day, Diabetes Alert Day in March 2019. Here's your question, though, uh, Lorraine. What is metabolic syndrome, and is it true or false that metabolic syndrome has nothing to do with type 2 diabetes? Wow. Um, I I think metabolic syndrome is like a combination of things that includes 
elevated blood sugar and probably insulin resistance and maybe a couple of other things. And I would say, yes, it has to do with type 2 diabetes. Uh, did she get it right or wrong, Patricia? She's right. She's right. Uh just to elaborate a little bit, uh, it does include, it, it's a group of different things, as she stated, and it does include high blood sugars. It includes high cholesterol levels as well and high blood pressure. And um, a few other things that we look at, uh, including the um, circumference of the waist, but these things do come together and increase your risk if you have a combination of at least two or three of them. It increases your risk for having type 2 diabetes. They say there are five times, the risk is five times greater. But the good news is metabolic syndrome can be controlled, and it's usually uh, in large part by lifestyle changes. Great advice and great job, Lorraine. And guess what? We're going to be playing more games all night long with our guests. Uh, coming up, we've got Kathy Gold, Dr. Mandy Reese, and uh, Chris Mayard, along with several other uh, wonderful people. So right now, though, Lorraine and Patricia, it's time to get back to the music. I don't know if you know this, but music critics agree that Kelly Clarkson's interpretations of holiday classics are why Wrapped in Red has is by far one of the best holiday albums released in the past decade. Here's her take on a song written in 1960 by blues singer and pianist Charles Brown. Let's listen to Please Come Home for Christmas, courtesy of Sony Music. Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic. Did you know that 10 years ago, one in 50 children or 1.5 million children in the U.S. were homeless? And the most recent statistics show that Americans' homeless problem is only getting worse. According to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, there were roughly 554,000 homeless people living somewhere in the United States on a given night last year. Well, my next guest, Kathy Gold, worked as a di- is a diabetes educator, but she also worked as a diabetes advocate for the Unity Health Care Clinic at the Community for Creative Nonviolence, a shelter in D.C. for over 20 years. She's helped homeless people check their blood uh, sugar logs, make referrals to specialists, and discuss ways to better manage their health-related situation. thought she'd be the perfect guest to bring on the show tonight to take on this challenging topic. So please welcome to the show, Kathy Gold. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, you were interviewed in Diabetes Forecast magazine, and you talked uh, in quite detail. It's a wonderful article, but you really touched on some of the issues that uh, surrounding homeless and diabetes, including food, food stamps, depression. Um, but also you pointed out the fact that some of them are really more motivated to make better choices. I'm curious to have you elaborate a little bit on that part of the equation. Well, the pa- a lot of the patients that I sought to help uh, that, at the homeless shelter were 
had had substance abuse problems. And they had conquered those problems and had learned how to make a behavior change. So when we came in and started talking to them and educating them about their diabetes, they had the skill set that I don't always find when I was working with my other patients of how you make behavior changes. And they were highly motivated. They they licked the drug abuse problem and, and wanted to to live healthy, and they wanted to kind of get out and break this cycle, and they didn't want diabetes to stop them. And I found them to be my most motivated patients, and part of it was that every day, and this is a bad thing, but it also had an advantage, is they would get kicked out of the shelter at 7 o'clock in the morning, and they would have to walk the streets of D.C. Well, you know what exercise does. It's very effective. So, and I, and I think the other thing we found is if you give them the tools I was really fortunate in in the District of Columbia that we had um, everybody was on Medicaid, and, and when we had meters, we, we initially we didn't have Medicaid, but we had meters, and people would test their blood sugar, and they would actually see the effect of exercise, and they would be motivated. They would see, um, and and I think the other thing I found is that. I think they do a lot of things in group, and I like group classes, but with the homeless I found it was much better to sit down and and have somebody pay attention to you on a one-on-one, and I think that made such a difference. Um, And they would come back and see me every month, you know, faithfully, you know, and bring their meter with them, and we would download the data, and they would look at the the data, and they could see, you know, oh, it's this time of day, and um, so it, it it was a very satisfying and very rewarding and they're they were I, it very had to be, but I, I i'm just curious about some of the challenges now like like i was talking about the consistency or um of your day or your routine or or having a consistent schedule and how you know a lot of a lot of people who are listening have a hard time managing their diabetes right now and they um not only do they ha- have homes but they have a fairly regulated schedule every day. They know where they're going, when they finish work, and so on and so on. So I'm just curious, how do, how do they navigate that? Well, we were fortunate that we had a lot of the new insulins, and it wasn't so much of a problem. But I can remember when I first started at the clinic, uh, when we had the old insulins, the NPHs, and they would, you know, it would peak, and if they skipped a meal, they would end up with, with a problem. And, and that's a huge problem for um people homeless people with diabetes is that you never know where you're going to get that that next meal or you might you might get a breakfast and you might get a dinner but lunch is hardly ever available so it was very difficult we saw a lot of hypoglycemia i think we there were a lot of emergency room admissions because they would drop on the street you know because they were hypoglycemic um the new insulins kind of erase that program or problem in dc but i know in virginia my homeless population there, um, they don't have those kind of choices. They have to use the old drugs, so it, it puts them at risk. Um, I think the bear, and not having that schedule makes it very difficult then for them to, to be attentive to a meal because uh, you, you want to eat in order to keep your blood sugar up. So you weren't getting, you weren't getting any benefit um, uh, from testing and things like that, and it, it was and very frustrating. And what about the food choices? Because I would assume oh. they're eating a lot of packaged food, a lot of processed food. Those are some of the foods, you know, we've talked on this podcast before with numerous experts about trying to vo- avoid or limit, and I would think that would make a huge part of their diet. Am I right or wrong? 
Oh, yes, it is. And and I think food banks are becoming more aware. Uh, you know, diabetes is very prevalent in the District of Columbia and, and, is, and is very prevalent among this population. I mean, they're very at risk. So I think food banks are starting, you know, if they do do group meal, you know, meals and stuff, they are making, a, you know, a little bit of a concession. But it's what people donate. So I always used to say when I went out and gave talks to individuals, if you're going to send food to the food bank, make sure it's healthy stuff. It's vegetables. It's not, you know, not the, you know, not oodles and noodles and things like that. You know, make the donation to be something that they don't have, fruit vegetables, um, you know, uh, oatmeal, uh, whole grains that they could have, peanut butter. I mean, that's something that they could keep. Um, So, you know, kind of changing people's attitudes about, you know, always putting a bag of chips in in the bag if you're going to be making sandwiches for the homeless. Well, why don't you put in an apple or an orange or, uh, you know, some other kind of fruit? That that would give them much – that's much better than a bag of chips. And now, you know, um, Lorraine just mentioned about – feet, issues with foot care and um, um, foot complications. I'm curious about uh, teeth because I would think dentistry would be limited as well, and so I feel like we don't ever really talk about uh, oral health. I'm just kind of curious with you, what kind of complications did you see over the 20 years that you were working with the homeless population? And what do you think, um, what, what are the ones that you think really demand the most attention? I mean, oral care, um, when I first, at the, at the first at the clinic, we didn't have dentists. And that was a huge problem because they never saw the dentist. They would get an infected tooth. You couldn't figure out why their blood sugars were up. And I can't tell you, once we got a dentist and we got people in to the, see the dentist on a routine basis, um, lots of tooth extractions. I mean, mass amount of tooth, because they didn't have good oral care. Um, you know, they didn't have a, the place to brush their teeth. They, you know, if they're out on the streets, they don't have those kind of facilities. But um, it made a, a big, big difference. And, and I think now we're becoming aware of the importance of dental care um, with diabetes, and uh, it, it made a huge difference. And I could say that if a lot of times if I could, couldn't figure out why somebody's budget goes up and they were doing everything they went, if we sent them to the dentist, nine times out of ten, sure, they had some kind of infection going on, and once that was resolved... We could improve their um, blood sugar control. But I think it's, you know, different states have different um, services, and that, that's what makes it very difficult. You know, some places, I mean, district, if you're going to be homeless, District of Columbia, is, they have good services. That's, and people come from all over the country to, to, to D.C. to be homeless. Uh, you know, they hear what services are available, and they come. I'm curious, you know, because I'm sure people listening to this are thinking, um, how much better their situation is probably. And, and of course, before they heard this conversation, they probably had a much different uh, perspective on managing their diabetes uh, over the course of the holidays because we know that could be a very stressful time with people with just uh, the amount of food in their indulgences, the shortage of money to pay for gifts and having to kind of go on a budget and just not having enough time to accommodate all the extra invitations and whatnot. But I'm curious uh, to ask you, uh, what you think someone could learn from the homeless population living with diabetes? Because you did talk at the very beginning of this conversation about some of their proactive things. I wonder if there's a lesson in that uh, that listeners could take away. I think the one thing you can learn is that diabetes can be manageable. I mean, no matter how dire those um, 
uh, you know, you're living, if you take care of yourself, if you, if you are motivated to take care of your health, um, you ha- you you can be successful, but I think we also need to recognize that if you don't take care of housing and 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 those physical needs, it's going to be very hard to get someone to focus on their diabetes. So if I could get somebody in the shelter and they they knew someplace they were going to sleep every night, and that I could give them a connection to where they can go and get those three meals a day or two at least two meals a day, then their success with their diabetes is going to be much more um, positive because we've we've taken care of their basic needs of of having a place to sleep and, and some guaranteed food but it's it's tough it's really tough and but they're resilient and um and i think the other thing is a lot of people think homeless people are not well educated i probably spoke to some of the the smartest men and women that were homeless and they were homeless because of a circumstance uh you know i had a gentleman that was um, worked in a hotel for many, many years, but had no Social Security. And then when the hotel, he got to retirement age, um, he had, you know, Social Security was so low that he had no place to go. I mean, because he'd already lived in, worked at the hotel and lived there. And then once he retired, he had no place to go. He ended up in the shelter. You know, that's, you know, and, and it's, you know, it could be your next paycheck. You know, you lose your job and you get a big hospital bill. That puts you in, you know, at risk for being homeless. I absolutely agree. Why did we buy Patricia Addy Gentle a guitar for the holidays? I don't know. But anyhow, that signifies the hot seat question, Kathy Gold. Please take a seat and help us uh, talk a little bit more candidly about diabetes and diabetes self-care. Here's your question. Are you ready? Okay. I've read that the homeless that many homeless people with diabetes have been forced to sell their supplies in order to afford basic living needs. I want to know uh is this in your experience is this true or false? And also I wanted you to answer this question that we got from one of our listeners about the homeless get a free ride and that people uh who are struggling to make ends meet don't seem to get the same benefits as the homeless people. Um, so the first question was if do they sell have they been forced to yes, they, they do I did see their... that I mean, and not everybody, but we did see it um you know you you give a person a meter and strips, and we we had at some point just say, "Well, we've already given it to you, we can't give it to you again, but yes, they do um uh, because you know they want. I mean, hopefully we're not, they're not buying drugs with it, but, you know, hopefully just trying to get some food. Um, and I think you have to realize a lot of homeless people are, are really trying to make an effort to improve their lives. Um, but if you have a family of, of children and you don't have any skill set or you have never had a role model to show you how to balance a budget, I can think of one woman in particular that I took care of who – was in the shelter for probably eight or ten years, and when she finally got housing, she had no way. She she didn't have the skill set to be able to independently cook for herself, how to keep her apartment. Um, you know, she was isolated. Her community was the shelter. That was those were her people that looked after her. And now she's placed in this independent 
apartment by herself with no support system, and, and unfortunately she passed away not too long afterwards from a low blood sugar reaction, um, which was very, very sad. So I think we assume that that the homeless are, are people that have uh, um, are just trying to milk the system, but I don't think that's always the case. I think a lot of people are there for mental illness purposes, and, and they just can't, they, and they've not had the the care that they've needed or the, the mental health care support. Um, and, and mental health is a, is a big issue within the, the homeless population. And what about the free ride aspect of this one uh, um, leader? I mean, one of our members who, who feels like I mean, they I, get I better. know that um, I, I think that I, I wouldn't say they're getting a free ride because that's not a ride I want to take. You know, um, it's, you know, you're living on the street. You don't know when your next meal is going to come. You're depending on people. I mean, just think how powerless you feel. Um, you you have no control over anything, and, and you don't see any hope for the future for this changing. Um, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these homeless were or Vietnam vets, you know, that have illnesses, and then they start to get sick with other illnesses, and 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 they really can't cope. So, um, you know, if you're if you're in a, if you're staying in a shelter and you've got 20 roommates and people steal your stuff, I, I'm not sure that's a free ride. Uh, not not one I that agree. I would want to be on. I agree, and I and I I'm very impressed with that response, and I appreciate you talking about this on tonight's podcast. It was important to our listeners, and it was important to me. And um, continued success doing that, Kathy Gold. You're just an inspiration for us, and I appreciate knowing you and getting to partner with you once a year down in, um, Fairfa- in uh, Fairfax, Virginia. So have a great okay, holiday thanks. season. Thanks. All right, we're going to play some more music with Kelly Clarkson. This song, she sings about skating and swinging around arm-in-arm with her husband. Brandon, well, the snow is coming down. She admits that when she that she was swept off her feet first time she met him, and it was love. So here's a winter dream, courtesy of Sony Music. Build a fire to escape the cold. Bing Crosby on the stereo. Chasing letters on my skin, slowly starts sinking in. You love me. Oh, don't wait. Welcome back to Vice Late Night. I'm your host, Sister Diva Bedick. That's one of the songs Kelly Clarkson wrote, uh, co-wrote on her new album, Wrapped in Red, for the holidays. It's a wonderful album. You should pick it up, courtesy of Sony Music. Straight ahead, we're going to be talking to a firefighter who was living with type 1 diabetes. But right now, it was World uh, AIDS Day two days ago. I wanted to uh, spend a little time talking about HIV and diabetes because, according to recent uh, media reports, HIV... There are several HIV medications may be increasing blood glucose levels, leading to type 2 diabetes. My next guest is a certified diabetes educator as well as a pharmacist who's held positions in communities, pharmacies, state pharmacy associations, public health, primary care, diabetes education. We're so proud to have her back on the show. Please welcome back Dr. Mandy Reese. Hi, Dr. Mandy. Hi. I'm excited to be back on. Well, we're so uh, this is another important topic for us to talk about. You know, Wrapped in Red was my inspiration to talk about all things red tonight. I think about the red 
uh, ribbon that's associated with uh, AIDS. It's also associated with a lot of other causes, but it started out with the uh, AIDS epidemic back in the early 80s. I think it was the first time it was worn on the Tony Awards uh, live broadcast. But anyhow, this is uh, this is a pretty um, disturbing idea that, uh, in my opinion, there's a lot of shame and blame associated with HIV as well as type 2 diabetes. So I think when you put these two things together, uh, that really kind of takes the blame off the Richter scale. And I'm just curious, how would someone even overcome this idea of wanting to be um, compliant with their HIV medication if they thought they might now be dealing with a dual diagnosis? Yeah, it's a it's a real challenge. I actually met with a person the other week, um, a patient that actually was living with um, HIV and type two diabetes. So it's definitely um, a challenge um, living with both chronic conditions um, and knowing that some HIV medications, certainly not all, but some do increase the risk for developing type two diabetes. So you're a pharmacist. How do you how how would I take that information? Where would I go to find out if this is true or false with my medications? Because I think, you know, we read these media stories, we get alarmed, and I'm just curious. Since you're both a certified diabetes educator and a pharmacist, should I should I take the article to the pharmacist? Should I take it to my educator? Should I take it to both? How would how would I proceed with this information? Sure, I would then take it to either one, either a diabetes educator or the pharmacist. And I do agree, you have to be really careful um, what you read on the internet because it's certainly not all true. Um, I found a great resource with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. They had some um, guidelines that they've actually um, released on um, the use of antiretroviral um, agents in adults in adolescents living with HIV. And within that, they discuss some, a few of these medications that do increase the risk for type 2 um, diabetes. So if you were taking the medication, do you feel that you should be start checking your blood glucose levels um, to see what, what's going on uh, with that medication, how your body's responding? Sure, yeah. Um, it is actually recommended when a person is um, entering into care for HIV where they're starting or they, um, the antiretroviral therapy um, is being changed, um, then it's a good idea to go ahead and get a fasting blood sugar or hemoglobin A1C done. And if, you know, the fasting blood sugar or the hemoglobin A1C um, is elevated or above 5.7 for the hemoglobin A1C or greater than 126, then to have it checked again um, in three to six months. Now, what if it is elevated? Sure. No, I mean, if it, if it is, no. so if, I, if I'm noticing that it is elevated from that medication, uh, are what are, are there other have you seen that there are other options available for me and is this something that it's a patient by patient like one med medication might raise my friend Mark's blood sugar I'm making this up another one might not make my friend Sylvia's uh, blood sugar uh, rise so I'm curious like in, in this moment with another medication and I, I'm sure this applies for multiple things including uh, mental health medications and whatnot that could affect your blood glucose levels. What do you do with that information, and how would you advise someone to proceed, again, 
who wants to be compliant and wants to live a happy, healthy life. Sure. Um, one thing to, to look at in this whole scenario as well that I was going to mention, like if there's a family history um, of diabetes or if the person is already overweight or obese or, or just not very physically active. So for that person that maybe is not very physically active and their mom or dad have type 2 diabetes and they're starting a drug like ritinavir, which is a protease inhibitor, the risk of developing type 2 diabetes is going to be increased. But they could, another person could be starting with tenavir, which is a protease inhibitor, and maybe they don't have a family history. They go and they jog three days a week, and they're, you know, they're not overweight or obese. Their risk of developing type 2 diabetes is going to be lower. Okay, so um, good advice. All right, so I want to I want to be honest with you and tell you that I have a bad habit of stalking my guests on social media before they appear on the podcast, and I just want to kind There's of touch back on that. what I was talking to um, Kathy Gold about earlier about the homeless situation, and even Lorraine saying how the cost of her medications have changed. You uh, just posted on your blog post that um, about working with some of your patients who are struggling with finances as both a clinical uh, pharmacist as well as a diabetes educator, uh, the affordability issue of insulin and the accessibility is, also, is a challenge. So you've been uh, recommending to people to switch brands to Walmart, and I'm just uh, the Walmart rely on brand. I, I want to know um, what led you to that. Do you think that's an option for other listeners tonight? Sure, sure. Um, what really kind of prompted this is it's been over the last several months is, you know, patients who even have health insurance um, just not being able to afford the insulin um, because the copay is too much or it's not covered under their plan and they can't afford three or four hundred dollars each month for their insulin. So um, I have recommended to these folks to get the Walmart Rely on brand. Um, discuss with them, you know, how the dose has to be just adjusted a little bit. But that a vial of that insulin from Walmart um, is $25. So definitely much better um, for the patient to um, have access to that option that they can afford to take their medicine. Um, and they have to, you know, need to be comfortable letting their provider know as well and when they can't afford medications, so medications can be changed and adjusted, so it's a more affordable option. But are are they noticing any changes in their care uh, as far as like their insulin therapy with dosage and other things? Because I I know a lot of people swear by certain brands, and I think that would be a little bit disconcerting to some of the listeners. I'm just curious if that's if you've come across that. Sure. Um, based on my clinical experience, I would say some of these older insulins, the um, regular insulin, the NPH, they don't typically do quite as good of a job um, in bringing the blood sugars closer to target range as compared to some of our newer insulins that we have, whether that be Traceba or um, Basiglar you know, um, or to J.O., they certainly don't tend not to do quite as well of a job. So patients may need a little bit more insulin. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some adjustments there and some aspects that maybe the um, outcomes aren't as ideal or it takes a little bit longer to sort of get this 
um, glucose values in target range, um, and folks need to be made aware of that. And then also, I like you to Sorry, Dr. Man, you got cut off because we're putting you in the hot seat. I guess you'll have to blog more about uh, that for us and let us know. Okay, so please take a seat over there next to Patricia with the guitar. Patricia, please step aside. Thank you. All right, so uh, we're going to ask you a question to help us raise the conversation around diabetes and diabetes self-care. Are you ready, Dr. Mandy? I am. I am ready. True or false, Viagra doesn't always work for men living with diabetes who experience erectile dysfunction. Is that true or false? That That is true. It's kind of bad news, though, isn't it? Why why doesn't it work, and what do, what do I do? Sure. Um, so you have to look at other factors that are going on. Um, medication for erectile dysfunction is not always going to work. So if there is a gentleman whose um, blood pressure is elevated, if the blood sugar is running, you know, significantly over target range, um, you know, a medication such as Viagra is not always going to do the job um, because, you know, if those other areas are not in check, the risk of having erectile dysfunction is very high. And so then uh, do they switch, can they switch to another oral agent or is there something, do they have to, uh, they can't, they would, uh, they would have to stop looking at oral agents and figure out some other ideas, other uh, choices. Solutions. Um, switching to, sure, switching to another oral agent such as Cialis um, would be an option that's in the same drug class um, would definitely be an option. And there's also some other procedures um, that are possible. And seeing a urologist, um, they are very well versed in those options when the oral medications for erectile dysfunction do not work. Fascinating. We're going to be talking about it more in uh, June in 2019, both on this podcast and a live event at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. Thank you, Dr. Mandy, for being a part of our special holiday broadcast tonight. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. I, I don't know if you're a Kelly Clarkson fan, but I am. And here's another original track from Kelly Clarkson's Wrapped in Red album. This one's more or less a diva song. Woohoo! And it's all about looking for jewelry, something canary. Why don't we listen to Four Carrots by Kelly Clarkson? Santa, I've been thinking, and I'm just needing one thing. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. And have we got a great gift idea for someone living with diabetes who loves jewelry as much as Kelly Clarkson. 
That's right. My next guest has created a wonderful product, the Glucose Boost Necklace, to help people with diabetes who experience blood sugar lows. Please welcome the creator, Chris Maynard, to the program. Hi, Chris. Hey, Matthew. Uh, Kelly is just singing about uh, going to Tiffany's, but people don't have to go to Tiffany's because you've got this wonderful new product out. We're going to be blogging about it uh, this coming week, and uh, yeah. I'm so excited to hear about it. It's called the Blood boost necklace it's um helps people experiencing blood sugar low blood sugars so tell us a little bit about the product and then we'll talk a little bit more about your story because it's so interesting yeah and let me correct you a little bit um nestle came after us and said you can't use that name anymore so now it's glucose revival so they threatened us and we said okay you're right uh, so we created the necklace glucose revival um because I work as a firefighter EMT, and I get to see people with low blood sugars all the time. And being a type 1 myself, it was something evidently that, I I mean, I needed as well. And so tying those together, I took what we use at work and now uh, put it within this necklace so that each one of us that's on insulin has something easy to find, easy to use, that can help for um, minor to severe low blood sugars. And it, so it has a um, uh, fast-acting glucose, but it also has a pendant on it as well, right, that has a, a universal right. symbol of the blue circle. Why did you choose to do that? Uh, the blue circle to me is just a pride thing. Um, uh, I want the blue circle recognized more, and I figured that's our medical alert device. That's the we're calling out to saying, hey, we're proud, we're diabetics, um, but – uh, we still need the help, and so it's it's usually family members, the ones that are the ones that find or a friend that finds a medical alert, and so now that gives those people the chance to be able to help a diabetic with a low blood sugar dose. I love this product because I think you know even under the best of care, you could have an unexpected low. You had a pretty. Uh, scary uh, scenario happened to you that kind of served as inspiration while you were camping with your kids. Just tell us a little bit about that, because I think, you know, uh, people hear that you're a firefighter, you're uh, very passionate about what you do, you seem very authoritative, and so to think that you would have a low blood sugar just might seem crazy to people. So this is an interesting story that I think people could see just how important this product is and how important it is to have your family members learn more about your self-care. Sure. And, and I'm one that tries to run my blood sugars fairly tight. I mean, if I'm not near 100, I want to get there. Um, but uh, so I've experienced a few low blood sugars. It's just that one in particular camping was the first one to where um, I didn't wake up. My son actually tried to give me glucagon and it didn't work. And so he uh, was able to find cell reception, called 911, and they came and gave me what I've been giving over you know, the last 20 years. And so, uh, and that's kind of an aha moment to where uh, I need to have that with me. And then the thought was, is after talking to my doctor, that helps make it more available to other people as well. And that's kind of where the idea was stemming from. And so, again, we should tell everyone, it has a fast-acting Fast-acting glucose. glucose in it. It has a symbol of the blue ring, uh, universal diabetes symbol, uh, symbol 
kind of yeah. serving as a medical alert brace, uh, a medical alert device for someone like you, who's a fire mm -hmm. who might come upon me. And how much does it re retail for, and how and where can people go to get it? Well, uh, it's going to be on the website. Cause, um, let me back up a little bit. We, we got a patent for it for one simple purpose is um, we know we pay two and a half times the medical care cost as non-diabetics. And so we figured if we got a patent on this, we can control the cost because we did not want it to go re retail. When we, when we found out that retail raises the price between 50 and 80%, we didn't want to be a part of that category. And so we're going to sell it um, on glucoserevival.com and it's going to be sold on Amazon because there we can control the price. And how does it work? And do I refill my necklace, or do I um, do I have to buy a new necklace, or will you be selling them in packs? Uh, I wish we could refill it, and that's some of the customers what they wanted as well. But because we can't sell a product and then refill it and not know what contaminants may have gotten inside the necklace, we are unable to do that. So it's it's a one-time use, or if you don't need all of it, then you just recap it, put it back on, and wear it. So um, we are going to sell multi-packs as well. At this point, though, I mean, we were hoping to have the necklace out in November, this last November, and because of some testing and some product um, issues that we've had, we're now not going to be able to start um, – sending them out until January. And so what we're looking for right now is we're looking for a thousand plus people. We just want to give them away. And we're looking for customers to come back and say, wow, this part's really good. This part doesn't work well. Because we want to we want to make it the best available product for everyone on insulin that's out there. And so we'll ship it to you for free. Um, because to me, this is going to be the game changer. This is going to be something that's going to help every diabetic on insulin. And, and you know, glucagon, the last time I had to pay that out of pocket, it cost me $250, and that's with insurance. Um, our necklace right now, it's going to be right around $18, uh, and we won't know for sure the exact price until all the testing is complete, but it's, it's going to be right around $18. And um, yeah. Our, what we're excited about is glucagon is really for severe low blood sugar, and to where our product will cover everything. And mm -hmm. um, I like to go running, and when I go running, that's something that I, I have been caught throwing stuff away out of my pocket because it's just too bulky and stuff I don't want to carry. And so the necklace has made it extremely easy on that. Um, I mean, I've, I've got friends that have been playing football in it, uh, in different sports out there, kayaking, it, it's made to go anywhere and everywhere 24 hours a day. Nice. All right, well, I want to change subjects for a minute because I was watching 60 Minutes uh, this past weekend. They were showing the devastation of the California forest fires. And when I was reading about you, I did see that you were a firefighter, like you mentioned. And I'm just wondering, how did you possibly manage your type 1 diabetes as a firefighter? It just seems like the anxiety, the stress, yeah. would just make it incredibly uh, difficult to do that. It's, it's challenging, but I, I really don't think it's much different than anyone else in any other occupation, whether it's a 
someone working in the ER or someone that's working as an accountant. Um, I mean, blood sugars can elevate, uh, you know, 40, 50 different ways. And so me firefighting, um, fortunately, if I'm fighting a house fire, it lasts for about 30 minutes before I can go back and check myself. Um, and so I definitely run the risk of I, when I'm at work, I tend to run my blood sugar a little higher to stay on the safe zone. But on the trade-off, that um, my health is depreciated on the long term. So, I mean, it's a tough balance to keep, but it's a job I love. But you did have an incident because of low blood sugars where for a period of time you did lose that job. So tell us a little bit about that and what brought you back. Yeah, before I went on an insulin pump and before I got my – Dex CGM, uh, I mean, it was just, um, I would test myself probably 12 times a day while I was at work. Uh, and we just happened to get a call in the middle of the night. And I, I remember going out to my truck on a, an alarm that we were responding to. And when I just, when I got up in the driver's seat ready to go, I just froze. And my crew got concerned. They're wondering what's going on. They think that I'm sleepwalking. And so at that point, uh, I was just deemed a risk to other firefighters. So I, I did. I went through a two-year stretch to where I lost my job um, and just put a, a new challenge on me, but a new um, desire also. Fantastic. All right. I have to uh, – I want to end this by talking a little bit about music because I thought I was the only one who – use music to help raise awareness for diabetes, but I have to step aside because you guys have created a music video and you've got a famous singer involved with the project. So tell us a little bit about that because we're going to be posting this all over our social media in the next coming days. Yeah, that was a blast. And really it caught my eye because Twisted Sister, the lead singer, Dee Snyder, did a video a couple of years ago on cancer. And it just, it touched me singing that, singing We're Not Gonna Take It. And to me, it was just powerful. And so I just, I, I had the thought of, what if he did that for diabetes? And so I contacted him, and he really jumped all over it. And I, it surprised me for how easy it was. But the Snyder family just has a heart of gold. Unfortunately, at that point, uh, what I didn't know is he just had a new album come out. And so he said what he could do is get his son, Jesse, to sing another one of his hit songs. And so that's what we did. We uh, reached out to Jesse Blaze, and he really put his heart into it. Um, and we put together uh, a fun team, all type ones, to be in the video uh, to really reach diabetics that don't know they're diabetic. And so that's where our heart was. Because, again, um, we don't want people to live in the worst of conditions. And so with all the emergencies I see in, with diabetics through the years, um, if diabetics or if people knew they were a diabetic, they could avoid the amputations, the blindness, the stuff that's going to happen down the road. And so we just wanted to provide that light because to me, music touches everyone. Everyone loves music. And so it was just an easy message that we could put out with the fun team to be at a put the message out. I think it's an incredible message. I can't wait to uh, watch the video. <laughs>
gentle on the bass guitar. All right, Chris, guess what? It's time for your hot seat question. That's a tradition over at Diabetes Late Night. If you don't mind, please take a seat. And help us raise yeah, awareness for diabetes and diabetes uh, self-care with this hot seat question. Here you go. We just want to get your opinion on this one. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. All right. Americans consume more than 200 pounds of meat a year, more than twice the global average. Research suggests adding taxes on processed meat and red meat could prevent 222,000 deaths and save $41 billion in global health costs each year. Is it time to put a tax on meat? Yes or no? No way. No way. <laughs> uh, what's your diet like? Because we're going to have a registered dietitian from Brunswick, New Jersey, coming up next. I'd love to hear what Maria thinks about your diet. So tell us a little bit about your what's your diet and why don't you think they should tax the red meat? Um, well, about a year ago, I went on a very low-carb diet so I can help control the swings and the roller coaster of the blood sugars. And so meat is heavily in my diet. And so um, beyond meats and salads and some other good foods, uh, that would be tough to get rid of. And so, so what are you? What's your current plan? Because I know you're also you wear an insulin pump, correct, as well as a continuous glucose monitor. Correct. Yep. And 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 so, what's your current regimen? Just because you do sound like a very active person, you said you were running. I know you also bike. You were a firefighter. I would assume that uh, just being an athlete in general uh, would have mm-hmm. would would result in having a tighter management than maybe most people listening would have. Well, um, I mean, I, I eat a lot of greens. I eat a lot of salads, um, but I, I really. If you talked to me a year and a half ago, um, it would be completely different than what I've been doing. And the difference, because to me, uh, I've read a lot of Dr. Bernstein's books, and I know a lot of people like him, a lot of people don't. But being that he's lived with type 1 for 60 years and can get those target blood sugars where he wants it, I wanted to see before I preach to other people on if the diet works. And so that's something I committed to last January so that I can see if I can control my blood sugars in a better way to help um, avoid those major pitfalls up and down. I love it. I can't wait to have uh, Maria Sakowitz's opinion on this. She's a registered dietitian again from New Brunswick. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Thank you for inspiring others and with your work in diabetes advocacy. And I'm looking forward to when that link goes live for the glucose revival necklace. I hope I got that right. Uh, we'll be posting it. So thanks again for being on the show tonight. Max, it's my pleasure. And people can sign up now on the website, glucoserevival.com. And I'd love to see people's comments. I'd love to get some feedback because uh, the driving force is the diabetics out there. And I just want to provide that way of help to them. Perfect. We're going to do it. All right. Well, you know, Kelly Clarkson is uh, has a song, The Trouble with Love, and one of my favorite Christmas uh, movies, Love Actually. This next song has a very similar take on it with the backgrounds and the stunning gospel feel that really resonates. Let's take a minute right now to listen to Every Christmas, courtesy of Sony Music.
Welcome back to Diaries Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Better, playing selections off of Kelly Clarkson's wonderful holiday album, Wrapped in Red, between the conversations about diabetes wellness during the holidays. You know, with all the opportunities to gorge and loaf around over the holiday season, it's a little surprise that the average person will pack on at least 7 to 10 pounds from Thanksgiving to New Year's Day. But what if you don't want to be part of that trend? Is there any way possible that you could guarantee I could uh, still fit into my skinny jeans on New Year's Eve night? Well, we'll find out with my next guest. Uh, hopefully she has the answer. She's a registered dietitian, a member of the Nutrition Associates of East Brunswick, New Jersey, which is a group of experienced registered dietitians who work together to improve the health and well-being of the community around us. And believe it or not, she's had great success helping people with type 2 diabetes lose weight over the holidays. Please welcome, for the first time to the show, Maria Stakowitz. Hello, Maria. Hello, Matt. How are you? Uh, I'm going I'm to, great. I'm going to I, refer that necklace to all my patients uh, that Chris talked about, <clears throat> the glucoserevival.com. Excellent. Yeah, I think it's great. You should definitely, uh, I hope you do, and I'll send you a link to um, his page. No, I will. A wonderful I will. man and, and inspiration. I just... Love yes. getting behind people in the community who are doing great things, like you are for our community. I try. I try. Um, so what's your first question? I see I have something well, from Well, I Becky. was perusing your website, and yes. uh, the first question I had is that you wrote on your website, all registered dietitians are nutritionists, but not all nutritionists are registered dietitians. Uh, what does that mean? I'm so confused. Well, registered dietitians have to take a four-year course in nutrition um, and four-year accredited university, and then we have to do, now it's over 1,200 uh, hours of uh, an internship, and you go to various hospitals and uh, healthcare places, um, pass tests, and then you have to take a national, uh, a national exam. And every five years, you have to keep your uh, registration uh, viable by taking 75 credits over five years' time. So it's quite a rigorous um, routine. I went and did it late in life. Um, it's my second career, but it was uh, super fantastic. So um, in New Jersey, unfortunately, we are not licensed. Uh, I think only two or three states are not licensed. In New Jersey, it's because of all the big pharma. They seem to think that we're going to interfere with um, selling vitamins, which that's certainly not true. I believe in supplementing diets with vitamins. Uh, so, But that's, that's where we are. And um, I am licensed in Florida, though. And uh, it's the same routine. <clears throat> so it's... Um, Anybody can say they're a, diet, a nutritionist, um, but you can't work in a hospital in New Jersey or any kind of a, um, you know, healthcare facility unless you're registered and um, educated. So that's the difference. All right. Well, I think that's important news for all our listeners out there. I know there's always chaos surrounding what do those yeah. initials and credentials mean after someone's name, so I appreciate mm -hmm. that. Um, and it's now also, called the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, not, you know, the American. It's not ADA anymore. They changed the name. <clears throat> anyway, um, 
I've been so practicing. So we're talking about a little bit about weight loss during yes, the holidays. Weight and loss. I saw that you are a big advocate of keeping a food journal. Do you think that would even work during the holidays? Because there's so many temptations right now on my coworker's desk. She's got a bowl full of um, Hershey's Kisses that I'm really trying to actively avoid. Okay. Well, I definitely recommend, there's three things I recommend to my clients. It's a uh, lifestyle change, not diet. But I do give a medical meal plan for diabetics, no matter, you know, whether they're one or two, uh, type one or type two. Um, So uh, what was the question now? I forgot. I'm off track. It was about food journals because I just, you know, I don't like to admit what I'm eating Not during the holidays. Uh, Not during the holidays or on vacation. I don't recommend that. Uh, what I think you should do is plan a journal versus keeping a journal during these these next uh, six weeks uh, since Thanksgiving to New Year's. Plan a journal. So in other words, you'll be writing things down, but kind of if you're working, you put you write down what you normally eat for breakfast. Make maybe you have two alternatives for breakfast, two or three alternatives for lunch, and and dinner and snacks, but if you know what's coming on the weekend, then you can plan for it by saying, well, this is, I'm going to cut back a little bit on the carbs or cut a little bit on the fat, whatever is your issue. I find I have to individualize a diabetic plan. So it's not always 40, 30, 30, or, you know, 50, 25, 25. It's up to the way the patient likes to eat. So if somebody kind of likes a little more fat, I'll change it to 30%. So it all depends on the patient. But um, whatever their issue is, they're going to plan for it. And so they know on that day if they like their carbs and sweets, then maybe two days before plan, I'll have two eggs in the morning and one slice of bread instead of maybe the bagel or whatever. For lunch, I'll have a big salad with some crackers and lentil soup with a huge salad. So you're only getting two carbs there because you know on the weekend you're going to have a day where you definitely go over. So I I would recommend that they plan to to have their journal ready and to follow it. So like one of the questions that you sent me from two people. You already saw the first question, our fabulous Diabetes Late Night intern. Yes, I did. New Jersey-based members of the Divabetic family for questions on holiday food. Here's one of them, Becky from Atlantic City. Are you ready for this, uh, Maria? You sound like you are. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Talking about personalizing the menu, let's see what you do here. Because Becky from Atlantic City, uh, she's ready to go to the Feast of the Seven Fishes. And she's managing type 2 diabetes, and she said, the menu includes fried calamari, baked stuffed shrimp, sole Venetian style, and snapper, as well as almond-crusted pan-seared seared halibut. Excuse me. Uh, she wants to know what she can eat, and she actually said, P.S., please tell Maria not to limit the fried calamari because that's my favorite. How can she enjoy the Feast of the Seven Fishes with a menu like that if she's managing type 2 diabetes? Okay. Well, like I said, pre plan for this meal. 
so obviously most of it is it's the seven fishes. Some fish is good. It depends on how it's prepared. Fried, of course, is going to be higher in fat. Um, so if you pre-plan and get yourself ready for this, the protein, of course, is not too much of the issue. Um, you know, the, with the pastas and things like that, you eat them, things that you eat all the time, I would, you know, avoid them. Eat the things that are holiday foods. So the fried calamari, of course, have it, but you're limited to give yourself a limit. I'm going to have four. Uh, the stuffed shrimp, of course, it depends on how large they are. If they're huge, maybe two is enough. Um, Almond-crusted uh, halibut. Halibut's wonderful. Almonds are healthy. Um, you take yourself off a two-inch piece. So I always say taste everything that you don't eat all the time, whether it's the holidays or going on a cruise. Uh, don't eat mashed potatoes. Have something that's totally different. So you taste everything. So in this case, Becky, stick to, the, stick to the fish at the, at the Feast of the Seven Fishes, and she'll be a-okay, and right? And taste everything, and you don't have to eliminate fried calamari at all. Just don't uh, eat the whole And what plate. was your advice about Chris, who's, who was after the red meat and had a high-protein diet since you mentioned the protein in the fish? Did you have a comment on Chris's diet with the um, going high-protein, low-carbohydrates for type 1? Um, no, I think 40% carbs is, I think you need to have, uh, you need carbs for energy. So um, it's balance. It's all focus and balance. And uh, I would certainly not um, put a tax on it either. <laughs> all right. Kind of all crazy. right. Well, moving on, we've got a question from East Orange, New Jersey. Marie, who has type 2 diabetes and an A1C of H, who gave us a lot of information, which we appreciate, everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, this diabetic says she's a real Italian. I'm curious to know what that means. Oh, yeah. her family's Christmas Eve dinner is served family style. This could be kind of scary, I think, Marie. Uh, her daughter, Sylvia, who is a great cook, is planning to serve and a pasta, peppers, meats, cheeses, and then manicotti or ma pasta with marinara sauce before serving the roast chicken with broccoli and carrots. This is how my grandmother used to do it, too. Um, but she wants to know. That's a pretty big meal, right? You're having the anapasta. That's pretty big And I'm big understanding meal, yeah. she's having her pasta, her pasta, and then she's having the chicken with the broccoli and carrots. But Marie wants to know how she's supposed to resist dessert because they're gonna, when they start passing around that New York-style cheesecake for dessert, warm nuts and grapes. Okay. And her thing is that she's concerned because she's told that she has to lower her A1C, and it says that she's going to her doctor in late January. So that would definitely be part of the three months uh, that they're going to average with her blood glucose levels. All right, take right. it away, Maria. But it'll be it'll be a night or two nights. It's out of the three months. It's really um, will all balance out. And like I said before, you taste everything. You don't. You don't have to put, you know, have plates full. The pasta, of course, we eat all the time. And a pasta, you could take a little bit. Uh, the chicken with broccoli, of course, is fine. But before that, the um, the cheeses I'd be a little careful with uh, because of high fat, although Italian cheeses are lower in fat. And uh, plan ahead, like I said, try to be be fairly good two or three days before. Uh, the cheesecake have several spoonfuls. Warm nuts, 
nuts are healthy. You don't need more than a handful. And grapes you can eat any time, so I wouldn't worry too much about grapes. I had a patient today who had an A1C of 14, and now he's down to 8. So um, we have quite good results, and um, my clients eat what they want. They're multicultural, and um, they know how much servings are with my Super 15 teaching tool. So once they see what they're eating in portions, then they know where they tell me where they have to cut back once they visualize it and see it. And it's about so, being honest with your registered dietitian, right? When I come to see you, yes, I, mean, I have to be yes. honest because a lot of people are sneak eaters. I'm not putting anyone down, but you, you, it does take a certain amount of honesty when you're going to talk yes, about food. Yes, and if I go over, I'll pick maybe three or four days uh, out of a month of journals, and um, some will come. A man said tonight was he. Had, he should be eating over 2,000 calories, and some days he only got 1,600, but other days uh, it was more. Over over the average, he hit it right on the nose because he knows his carb foods, he knows his fat foods, he knows his protein foods. A lot of people don't know that beans are carbs. They say think they're protein. Uh, people think nuts are protein. People are protein crazy. Um, people think, you know, don't realize that uh, cheese has the uh, the carbohydrate taken out, processed. So uh, people really don't know their foods, and they don't know they can't name their foods. I just published a book, "Do Food Labels Drive You Crazy?" because the new food labels were coming out this year, and almost no one who has diabetes who comes in my office knows how to read a food label, what to look for. Most important thing, uh, and don't be fooled by the front of the package. And once you learn, you can become part second nature to yourself. Absolutely. I think we're going to have to have you back in 2019, Maria, because this is great advice for our listeners, and I'd love to have you back on Diabetes Late Night. Okay. Love to be. Love to join you. All right, well, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, this is a spot where we were going to be playing Kelly Clarkson's remake of Baby, It's Cold Outside, but a lot of you have emailed us in saying, please don't play that song. And instead, I'd rather, uh, I think I'd rather talk about making my holiday season shine bright and what's helping me do that is the Divabetic Partnership with Behringer Ingelheim to present the first ever diabetes cardiovascular disease escape room experience on National Diabetes Alert Day, Tuesday, March 26th, right here where I'm in, New York City. I hope you join us. It's going to be a great day of outreach. Um, And the good news is that you don't have to wait to get clued in about the connection between type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease because right now we're going to take on that topic with our very own Patricia Addy Gentle. Hello, Patricia. Hi, Matt. Thank you for putting down the guitar. That I love that uh, you, you got rid of the fire engine and went with, and, and picked up the guitar for the holiday show. That was special. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, we've you know you heard us mention this to um, uh, we were we were uh, questioning Lorraine earlier about it, and so I'm kind of curious because we're going to start sharing more and more information about the link between type 2 diabetes and uh, cardiovascular disease. What kind of information can you share people um, that would you like to share tonight? Well, we were talking earlier about metabolic syndrome and, um, you know, if at all possible to 
um, kind of change those lifestyles so that we can try and decrease our risk for the cholesterol problems and for, you know, keeping the weight at pretty much within the normal range. Um, we can do all of those things by exercising and trying to eat healthier. So it's all about lifestyle changes. But metabolic syndrome um, itself puts a person at a higher risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And uh, those are the kind of things that we want to be uh, watchful and, and make sure that we are doing our best and living our best life to try and prevent uh, things from occurring. If we well, smoke, I think, we you know, this is a time of year when people indulge a lot, and I think most people think about cigarettes, uh, you know, risk for cancer. They might not think about uh, this connection. So, I mean, the idea of quitting smoking is also very important for people if they can. Uh, isn't, isn't it? Very much so, yes. Cigarette smoking does increase the blood pressure. And so if you quit smoking, you can reduce your risk for heart disease and improve overall health. So people who quit smoking live longer than people who do smoke and never quit. So smoking is one of those things that we want to always uh, remember is a risk factor as well. And is blood pressure... um involved in this whole link between type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease, and is it something else I should be managing as well as my blood glucose? Most definitely. Blood pressure plays a, a large impact because the pressure is actually measuring the amount of resistance in the vessels. So when there is a higher blood pressure, then we are causing the heart to work harder against that resistance, and we're causing the vessels to be impacted. So those vessels start to develop uh, plaques and bulges, and we're more at risk for cardiovascular types of injury, um, strokes, heart attacks, all of those things. So the blood pressure should be checked. And what many people don't... Sorry, Patricia, I just couldn't wait to play that song for you tonight. Oh, my. Uh, thank you for handing over your guitar. It was a little fight in the backstage area of the green room, but I got I managed to get my hands on it. Okay, well, this is important because we've been getting a lot of questions about this, so here's your hot seat question. Please take a seat, Patricia. Oh, my. Thank you. People have been asking how can they lower their blood pressure naturally, naturally, because they don't want to go on any more medication. Is that possible, and what do you, how can you lower blood pressure naturally? <clears throat> well, there are things that we can do to lower the blood pressure, and we were just talking about some of those, such as uh, the weight and regular exercise. We were talking about eating healthy, more fruits, vegetables, and grains. Um, those can also lower the blood pressure and lower the cholesterol as well. So uh, changing our dietary habits is one of the biggies uh, when it comes to lowering blood pressure. Reading the labels and knowing what uh, foods consist of. So when we lower our blood pressure and, and change our lifestyles, that impacts blood pressure measurement a whole lot. And what many people don't think about is that 
uh, of all the days of a year, in the year 365, if they're visiting their doctor only four or five times a year, for most people, no more than quarterly unless they really have problems, the blood pressure measurement should be uh, done at home, a check periodically someplace so that you can make sure that that pressure is staying within the good range. So when you go to your doctor, you should already know that there's a problem that you have already taken aim against. So that's one of the things as well um, for trying to stay off medication. Check the blood pressure. Make sure that you're in the range where it should be and take precautions and do some of those lifestyle changes that we're discussing in order to lower blood pressure. I think that's great advice. Don't wait to go to the doctor. Start checking your blood pressure now and being a little bit more aware of it so you could go back and be more informed when you talk to your doctor and start asking Absolutely. the right the right questions between the link between cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes. Patricia, Kathy Gold, Lorraine, Chris, uh, Maria, Dr. Mandy, uh, great show tonight. I want to I can't believe we're at the end, Patricia, of 2018. It's been an amazing year. I want to tell our listeners that get get ready because we're um, caution is how we're proceeding in 2019. That's right. We're playing the Mariah Carey's newest album entitled Caution on our December, I mean on our January 8th podcast. Please subscribe to our Divabetic E newsletter at divabetic.org and stay with us all holiday season by following us on our Facebook pages or checking out my videos on YouTube. I think Kathy Gold's in several of those videos, I'd like to say. Uh, so you get, get a better picture of Kathy Gold and I working our magic down in Fairfax, Virginia. Remember, every diva and every dude has an entourage, and we're so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy this holiday season. We're going to end the podcast with Kelly Clarkson's wonderful version of a timeless classic from the vibrato to the high note. It's a gentle and perfect track to sit in front of the fire with someone you love. Let's listen to Kelly Clarkson, courtesy of Sony Music. Near to us once more.
Upon the 